And it is really good to be with you this morning. So I'm Rick Evers. I am uh, from Longmont, Colorado, uh, pastor of The Journey. And you all, whether you know it or not, have a really uh, soft spot in my heart. Because uh, for those, I don't know, how many of you guys have been around like since close to the beginning? Okay, so yay for you, all right? Uh, as somebody who started a church and have some folks that have been along the journey the whole time, it's, uh, it's great to have. So we moved here in 1999, and uh, you guys as a body in those early days were incredibly supportive of us. Uh, Ken Nidum, uh, was a guy that I went to, I was joking about this uh, last night, Ken Nidum was my mentor for six months until I fired him. Uh, it's a whole long story on that one, but uh, but then it's like later on that I discovered everything that he said was true, and I was like, oh, maybe I should have hung on a few months longer, I could have learned some more stuff, you know, made a few less mistakes. But he was two years ahead of me, right? So he was like, there were things he was telling me. I had a chance to come back a few times over the years, um, you know, Mark Quist is a good friend. Got to know Ken really well. And then um, I was really fortunate to be in a place to do some, some be friends with and do some coaching and mentoring with Adrian. Uh, so over the years, I've just heard a lot about you, but there's also been um, a significant part of our early years, which you were a part of that. Uh, when I tell stories about the early years of Journey, I bring up New Life Church as you know, one of the churches that, that supported us and encouraged us. So thank you. So it's just really good to be here. And the other part of it is I want to encourage you along something else. So um, again, part of a conversation we were having last night uh, at the Luger's house. You know, we're, we're just living in, a, in shifting waters, right? We're living in huge cultural shifts. We're moving more and more into a post-Christian context, you know, just around us, we see that more and more. People don't, uh, people don't know what to do with the church. You know, we've got my kids who are, uh, you know, 28 and 26, and that generation, right, those early or late millennials and early Gen Z, they're the first generation where half of that generation is three generations removed from the church, which means they don't go to church, their parents didn't go to church, and their grandparents didn't go to church. Half of that generation. So they look at us and they drive by and they're like, they know what to do with us in the same way that they know what to do with an Elks Lodge, right? What do those people do inside that mysterious building? So there's a part where we are living in this phase where, where our culture is shifting and what does it look like for us to, to live more and more distinctive lives that just look different from the world and they're like, How come, why do you guys live like that? What's that about? But I think it also requires us to be able to do things a little bit differently. And our focus is less about like how do we get folks in the door, but how do we live in such a way that it invites people to ask the question, that we get to serve and live the life that Jesus calls us to live, lives that look different. And to be able to experiment then with what that looks like. And so I want to encourage you in the experiment that you guys embarked in, you know, where you're doing this without a full-time guy like me. 
and you're doing this with volunteers and you're doing this with people who have stepped up to be able to do this task of writing sermons. And by the way, if you've never written a sermon, this is, it's like, it's like writing a six to seven page paper. Again, if you don't like writing papers, like that, you know, or if you do, then you should preach. So <laughs> get in the rotation. I'm, I'm doing some recruiting for you, Mark. Yeah, there you go. So, but you know, it's, it is, there's a, we, we always joked as, a, as in early preaching, like this is like uh, um, giving birth to a baby and then somebody afterwards coming up and telling you it's ugly. <laughs> so the fact that you have multiple people that have engaged in that risk for the sake of this body, for the sake of this community, to be able to give what God's put on their hearts and be able to put that out to you. And, uh, and for you to be able to take that and go, we're actually going to spend some time with that and spend time talking about it. And it because this is, this is what this is about, right? Is being able to take God's word and try to mold it and have it become a part of the fabric of who we are and the way that we live. So, I, man, I'm, I am... Uh, I'm excited for you, and I know it can be difficult, and yet there is something about being able to live into that edge of what God is doing and to remain uh, fruitfully faithful in the process. Yeah. Well, with all of that, I get to uh, jump into Colossians 3, and uh, we're actually going to be reading from Colossians 3, 1 through 15, and who's ever taken on the next section of Colossians, my apologies. I'm I'm dipping into your territory. Are you doing it? Oh, okay. I'm dipping into your territory. But when I read the first four verses, I was kind of like, yeah, but the this next section kind of unpacks this. And so that's what I'm going to be covering. And then the next guy can preach, can get up, or women can get up and go, uh, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we're going to be reading out of Colossians three and uh, one through fifteen. This is the word of the Lord. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For when you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malice and behavior, malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old nature and all of its wicked deeds and you put on a new nature and you're renewed. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or civilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, 
You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. The Word of God. Now let's pray before we jump into this. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that we get to continue to look at it and read it. And we pray that through the power of your spirit this morning, we will hear what you want us to hear and have what needs to get woven into the fabric of our life and our being get woven into the fabric of our life and our being because of you. So God, in these next few moments, Will your spirit help us hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to see and know what you want us to know? And if there's anything that gets in the way of that, then you just let that go in one ear and out the other and allow to what is from you stick. Thanks for meeting us in this moment. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. So who are you? That's always a good question, isn't it? That'd be a nice way to go. Hi, my name is Rick. Who are you? And we get out of that. What do we get? A name, right? But what happens in that interaction? In that initial interaction, we're making judgments, aren't we? We're making judgments on whether or not we're going to like you. Got to meet a few of this morning, right? Hi, I'm Rick. I get to meet so-and-so. And then we make connections and we work to make connections. But one of the things that we've noticed over the years, and maybe this is uh, self-revelatory and you don't have this issue, but (laughs) there's a part where when we first meet people, we're always in judge mode, assessment mode. And what's the very first thing that we tend to assess is we tend to assess our looks, external. What What does this person look like? And what do I look like? It's why like, you know, Prior to getting up here, I quick went to the bathroom and checked myself in the mirror, made sure my shirt was okay, make sure there was nothing on my face. There's something on my face. Oh, no. <laughs> and we make judgment calls. And one of the judgment calls that we make about is about beauty. Whether we even want to admit it or not, we see somebody and we make assessments about them based on what they look like. This is, this is our culture. This is, this is how we function. There's a reason for that. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But it's interesting how that is. Somebody will walk in, and it's like, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I do this. I look at somebody, and it's like, what do they look like? And what can I assess from them from what they look like? In our culture, there's this thing called the beauty ratio. Have you guys heard of this? There's a beauty ratio. It's 1 to 1.62. Called the beauty ratio. Basically, what you do is you, and it's like all of this calculations of like from your top of your head to your chin and how wide your face is and where your eyes are and the difference between your chin and your nose and your nose and your eyes and your forehead. And you calculate all of that, and the beauty ratio says the most beautiful people, the most 
eye-pleasing people are people that have the ratio of 1 to 1.62. Angelie Jolie, Zadaya, Kim Kardashian, right? Um, you know, Taylor Swift, all are very, very close to that 1 to 1.62. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Ryan Gosling, David Beckham. All people that if you know those names, you're like, man, they're good looking people. I'm 1 to 1.74. <laughs> oh, I got that. I, that's, I, I was, that was dyslexia. 1 to 1.47. I really don't know if that made a difference. <laughs> and I have no idea if that makes us attractive or not. I guess I will leave that judgment up to you. Please just leave that to yourself. Thank you. But there's this idea that out there there's beautiful and we make all sorts of assessments around that and it's crazy. There's a gal by the name of uh, Kate Fox and a couple of years ago she wrote a, an article called Mirror Mirror on the social effects of beauty in, in everything. And here's what she discovered. Like she went out and actually did research on this and you discovered that attractive people tend to be more popular. Duh. Starting early in school. Attractive people tend to have a better chance of getting a job and receiving higher salaries. That's proven. They are found guilty less often or have lesser sentences. They gather more followers on social media. They are assumed to be more intelligent, more competent. They're also assumed to be more confident and even to be more morally virtuous which is why you always have right the the beautiful princess or the beautiful stepdaughter and the ugly wicked stepmother right so why all this talk about beauty in the context of Colossians 3 because our desire for beauty betrays the kind of world that we live in it's shallow and flawed but it reveals our desire for a world as it once was. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with beauty. We live in a beautiful world. And yet it's not as beautiful as it once was. And we live around beautiful people. But not as beautiful as we once were. Because we've had this thing that came into our world called the pollution of sin and it mangled everything. Which, which is crazy, because you guys live in a gorgeous part of the country. We're really fortunate as Coloradans to live here. We step outside of our doors. We step out on the front range, and we get to see um, Long's Peak and Mount Meeker and, and the Indian Peaks, and it's gorgeous. I mean, you, know, you get up here, man, you just look all the way around, and you're like, this is beautiful. And this is the broken version can you imagine what the beauty must have been like prior to it being broken, prior to it being polluted? And there's something about this. There's something about this draw to beauty that we have that's an echo of, once, of what once was. And yet we don't have that anymore. 
So we're still looking at it, but we never want to dig deeper because we might not like what we find. Back in the mid-1980s, during one summer, I dated the runner-up to Miss Teen Georgia. So she placed second. She was gorgeous. Not as beautiful as my wife, but gorgeous. <laughs> but she was. She was, she, was, she was one of those ones where it's like, what in the world is this gal doing a, with a 1.47? Right? <laughs> like, holy cow. And I would even have my friends of mine that would come up to me and it's like, poof, you're an idiot. And I was like, what in the world? How in the world did you get her? Like, I don't know. Just don't tell her anything to mess things up, right? We started dating in June, and we were broke up by August. Because over the course of like eight weeks, there was all this stuff that was under the shell of this beauty that was ugly. And it turns out, I found out years later, there was a reason for that. There was some significant hurt and pain. But it created all this ugly, and it started to come up. And I kid you not, when I first started dating her, I could not keep my eyes off of her. And by the time we broke up, only eight weeks later, so we'll call it a summer fling, she wasn't beautiful to me anymore. I saw every flaw because what was underneath was coming up. Maybe she had that with me too. You'll have to find her and ask her. But my story, that's what I'm sticking to. Because here's the thing is we, we see these things that we don't like. There's, there, like we stop at the surface because we don't want to see what's underneath. Because what's underneath is what we just read in Colossians 3, right? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. And all of that stuff that's there is driven by something deeper. Deeper hurts, deeper flaws, deeper ambitions that are ugly. They're ugly. We don't like seeing these things in others. We certainly don't like seeing these things in ourselves because if we... Here's this, like, why do we not want people to see this? Why do we want the veneer? Why do I want to be able to look in a particular way and act in a particular way to be able to put up the veneer so that you see me as I hope you see me, image management? It's because I want you to accept me. That's why we want to be accepted. I want to be able to make sure, I mean, I, I'll confess this. I want this sermon to go well today so that when I leave, you guys will speak well of me, my own image management. And I hope I don't do anything stupid enough to let you behind the curtain. Because there's plenty there. And yet what we desire is this, is we want to be accepted. And we have this fear of rejection. That's a deeper reality. In fact, what, would, what I love, and I heard it years ago, I wish I could give credit to who this I heard it from, but it's the echo of Eden. 
We live with this internal, long-forgotten memory, this echo of Eden, Eden, that the world was once beautiful and beyond our imagining. And then things went wrong. And our original parents were put out of the garden. And that echo, that memory still lingers too, right? Because they got put out of the garden, which is a memory of a sense of rejection, now, God did not reject them, right? He kept them alive, walked all the way through, as we'll talk about in a moment, right, with the redemption of Christ. But boy, to, to be able to, can you imagine, to be able to have lived in the garden and to know what real beauty was and to know what the world was like the way it was supposed to be, and then, boom, you got kicked out? And the relationship with God is broken and you're no longer walking with him in that closeness that you once did, like Take any feeling of rejection that you have and multiply that one. But that's what that is. That's an echo of that original sense of rejection. Again, which is also a lie. The enemy that says, oh God, God doesn't like the real you. He won't accept you. You know all your own ugly. You know all your own stuff that's under the surface. You need to keep that you need to keep that mask on. You need to keep that shield up to make sure that you look good so that you'll be accepted because if they get to see the real thing, if God gets to see the real thing, out you go. So there's an echo of beauty and this echo of rejection. An echo of the way it was supposed to be and an echo of losing what was supposed to be, of being rejected. And that beauty that we look at today that in our society, in some respects, we can look at that and we can interpret that as a two-edged sword. We can see it for what it is. We can see it for the side that reveals that faint memory of real beauty. And we want it. And that's what people want. And they see the ugliness in the world and they think, man, this, this is the best there is? This is the best there is? Isn't it supposed to be more? Yep. It once was and it will be again. And that hunger for it now, when we hunger for it, shows that memory. So whenever we see it, there's something inside there lurking. In fact, that's one of the beauties that you get to see whenever somebody says... Is this all there is? We get to be able to go, no. And in fact, that feeling that you have inside of you, that there should be more, like follow that. Dig more for that and you will find truth. But the other side, that, that double edge, the other side of that sword, the other edge is this edge that says we can't find the beauty we remember So we settle for shadow. We settle for fake. We settle for something that has no substance. And it's into that conundrum that Jesus steps. And we live with this innate knowledge that the world's not the way it's supposed to be. And we settle for shadow. And Jesus steps into our lives to move us from shadows to the real world. 
So we actually get to see what's really going on and we get to see what's really needed. And we get to see what he really brings. We get to see the real ugly because that's the truth. We get to see the results of sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed and idolatry and and anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. And let's just remember that idolatry is not just like, you know, playing to some little Buddha statue somewhere, but the idolatry is in within ourselves when we want to be God ourselves. Whenever we give something else the power that belongs to God, whether it's ourself or money or fame or work, you name it, something that takes the place of God. And when we have the eyes to see, we see it all around us. And it's a trap. It's a trap of living that we can't get out of, and we can't get out of ourselves. And that's the beauty of Christ being central, is when we recognize that it's like, no, that's right, we cannot live in this world as it is on our own. We will get sucked. The life will get sucked out of us. But here's the beauty that Paul is reminding his brothers and sisters in Colossae and us today that we have been set free from living in those ugly chains and we have been accepted. In fact, just, I'm going to give you 30 seconds on this one. Say these words to yourself and then sit with it for 30 seconds. I have been accepted. You've been accepted. You can feel it, can't you? This sense, this this is what Good Friday and Easter does for us. It sets us free from the trap of the ugly and sets us free to live into who God created us to be in the first place and redeemed us to breathe, came to fix what was broken and heal what was wounded and bring life to what was dead. And you are accepted. Into that. Real beauty isn't the golden ratio. Real beauty is the golden rule that Jesus lived out and gave to us. Real beauty is what Paul writes in Colossians 3, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, holy and dearly loved, hear that, this is what accepted means. You are holy, set apart. That's what holy is. 
Holy isn't looking right. Holy is you have been set apart. You no longer belong over here. You belong to Christ. You are holy, set apart, accepted by him, chosen, dearly loved. Well, because of that, well, now you get to put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. You get to bear with each other. You get to, you get to forgive each other. You get to have any grievance against somebody else. You get to let that go to forgive as God has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Isn't this what we want? I mean, deep down. I mean, yes, I want to look nice. I still have that. But what do I really want to be known for? Oh, man, to be known for somebody who who's tender-hearted and merciful and kind and humble and gentle and patient. I mean, right now you think about our world and it's like everybody's got to be right at everybody else's expense. Oh my goodness. I gave up Facebook for a whole bunch of, oh God, a couple of years because it was like every time you go on Facebook it was like people having these arguments in the chat, and I'm like, man, this is toxic. I gotta stop. This is like ruining me. I don't care if I agree with you. It's like, it just, Wah! how about if we cut each other some slack? Oh, you messed up? How about if I forgive you? Oh, I messed up. Would you please forgive me? How about if we bear with each other, make allowances for each other, forgive each other? What kind, of, what kind of attractiveness is that? And you know people like this, right? You know people in this community and in other churches, other brothers and sisters who are tender-hearted people, who are humble people, who are kind and gentle and patient. I'm really fortunate to have those people in my life. And there's a couple of them who are like, you know, I just want to be like you when I grow up. This is who Jesus was and is and who we get to be when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, changing us little bit by little bit. Sometimes picking us up like a little kid and go, nope, no, we'll go this way. But this is what it means to be an image bearer of God as one who was created in his image and have been redeemed to look like him because of what Jesus did on the cross and then he rose again from the dead. This is real beauty and we're free to clothe ourselves with tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and make allowances for each other. That's not the way the world lives but boy that is the way that God lives and it is the way that God wants to live in us and through us, so this world can see. Not just this world. So the person who doesn't know him that's standing in front of you at the checkout counter or at the gas station or at your work, so they can catch a glimpse 
of the beauty that the world once was and will become again. Jesus came into this world, he died and he rose again to give us this, to restore us to this. Since you have been raised with Christ, my friends, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you have died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Folks, that's what we get to live out this afternoon. That's what we get to live into tomorrow. The real beauty welling up from within us coming out of us to live that way in his world. Let's do this for a minute. I want to give you another minute just in silence and just engage God and go, God, out of this whole thing of ugly and beauty, this whole thing of the life that I live and the life you want me to live. What is it today you want me to see? And let God, let God bring something to your head or your heart. Will you do that with me? All right, let's do that. I'm going to pray and then I'm just going to give you a minute or so and then I'll wrap it up. God, thank you that this is what you've done in our lives. And right now the beautiful thing is, is that for each one of us, you know what it is that you want to do in us and through us and how you want to make this reality of your beauty in us become alive. And so, Lord, will you just meet us in this moment? Speak to us in the way that you know we hear you. We give you this moment. God, through the power of your spirit, you're changing us. And we want to be open to that. 
And so thank you for meeting us in this moment, reminding us that we have been accepted by you and that you have instilled your beauty in us and let that beauty flow out of us to all we meet. Let us live in that that deep sense of acceptance. When the enemy comes in and tries to remind us of all the ways we should be rejected, will your Holy Spirit stand firm in our lives so that we might call out and go, no, we've been accepted by the one who died and rose for us. Lord, through the power of your Spirit, become more alive in us today. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. No better uh, response to that than singing about Jesus being the center of our life. Please, please stand with us.